It is December 1st. This is another episode of Crime After Crime, and I am John Lorden, and with me is... Daniel Hallen. Happy December, everybody. It's that time. It's the most magical time of the year, is what it is. I know, and it's the last year of 2020. The last year of 2020. I wish. I wish <laughs> it was. We're <laughs> separating. Unfortunately, that fits too well, because yeah. every month in this year has felt like a year. Yeah. Who, own, so. <laughs> who wants to say 2020 anymore? Even when we get to 2021, we're still going to be saying 2020. So I think at the end of this year, we should just roll right to 2030. There we go. Yeah. I don't want to say 2020 anymore. <laughs> <laughs> the whole phrase needs to just be done. Completely done. But we're going to survive it one way or another. Like we survived CrimeCon house arrest. What did you think, Danielle? I absolutely loved it. And I really hope they do it a few more times. I feel like everyone was very unsure because it was a virtual event. Yeah. Given the circumstances. And CrimeCon, I feel, is our one opportunity to really see people in person, you know, meet viewers, listeners, and, you know, thank them and hug them and get to know them. And then we get to be around each other as well, not virtually. Yeah. Because that's what we're used to. Yeah. Um, But it was still just as awesome. It was really cool having people hop in in video form and, you know, just even chatting with people. It was really, really cool. Great. Still got to talk to all the people that we really enjoy being with. Yeah. Yeah. Great conversations, uh, case referrals, case discussion, getting to mix and mingle with some of our cohorts. I mean, uh, Sarah mm-hmm. Turney dropped into our booth and stayed with us yeah. for a long time. Great conversation with her. Uh, we met other podcasters we hadn't met before. Basically, all the things that work about the live event yeah. really worked for the virtual event, too. So, yeah, that's a good thing to know. If, if nothing else, if we get to 2021 and things aren't quite ready for another live mm-hmm. event, I hope that they roll this again because it worked really, really well. Um, and yeah. It did. Yeah. And I feel like they kept us all in our element. <laughs> they're yeah. like, well, they're all used to being online anyways. And that's true. You know, so I feel like we all just kind of flowed into it perfectly. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's pretty amazing that we can be connected, especially through a time like this. Can you imagine going through a year like this without the internet? Like if we didn't mm. have, I mean, video conferencing yeah. and stuff like this is still fairly recent. We've had versions of it now for a while, but they haven't worked so great. Yeah. Just look at how easy it is now to just get connected and spend time with other people. Uh, certainly something that's been very helpful in terms of getting mm-hmm. through this year. Uh, and another big benefit of that is when you're a podcast and you need new artwork, you just say, hey, let's do a little contest. Yeah. And then you get an amazing entry <laughs> from Janelle, who is the winner of the crime after crime art contest. You can see her amazing design at our merch shop. It's already there. It's already up. You could buy stuff with it. Fantastic. It's amazing. Uh, We both knew I, I sent the entries over to Danielle and I I knew I was like, it's gotta be this one. I was already Uh showing it to like my friends and family. I'm like, do you guys like this? (laughs) They're like, like, Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. But I hadn't sent it to Danielle yet. It was like instant. Like she replied Mm -hmm. right away. It's what we call, we're calling it the jail tat, but it's basically, (laughs) (laughs) it's basically a crime after crime, like a new logo that's been done in American traditional tattoo design style. And Mm -hmm. it's super cool. It is. It's really awesome. Yeah. It's really cool. If you Depending want, on how much I decide I enjoy John, I might actually get it physically tattooed really small somewhere. Really? <laughs> I love it. It is cool. I think cool. it's pretty awesome. It is cool. And I like to tattoo like accomplishments and yeah. things that have like molded a portion of my life. And I feel like, you know, crime after crime's done that. Wow. Everyone can make fun of me later. Wow. But, you know, everyone already makes fun of me for my Harry Potter tattoos. <laughs> might as well just keep yeah. on adding to the list yeah well people only make fun of me because of my youtube tattoo but i can't show you where that is <laughs> oh no uh, <laughs> you can check out the new tattoo design at crimeaftercrimepodcast.com and it's awesome and we've got a few different items and of course janelle uh gets a shirt with her design on it she gets mm-hmm. the mug we also sent her there's a die cut sticker with the design on it as well. And you can have all those same items that are available over at the store. But right now, we got to get to business. It mm-hmm. is time for dun 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 voting results with Danielle for the last episode, Black Friday Crimes. Danielle, what happened with these voting results? And why right, am I guys. so hurt? Oh, no. 
<laughs> so for Black Friday crimes, I think that was a really fun episode. We brought really awesome stories. Mm-hmm. But putting it in the hands of you guys on Twitter, I received 81% of the votes and John received 19. Holy smokes. Wow. That was Shout a left hook. Shout out to Twitter because I'm not even personally on Twitter anymore and you guys still showed up for me. I genuinely appreciate you for that. I really do. Your people, they're ride or die, Danielle. They're, they're, they're with you the whole way. And then on our website poll, I received 75% of the votes and John received 25%, meaning season three total so far. Two for me and one for John. And let me just point out, that in these last two shows, it's been like a war. It was mm-hmm. like, I threw a bomb. Now you've thrown a bomb back. <laughs> <laughs> we're going really hard this year. Seriously. This season, we're just, I mean, you we, got to go for it. We're not messing around. And speaking of not messing around, that means I need to hand over the crime after crime mug to the person that deserves it for another excellent month of storytelling. That is Yay. Danielle Hallen. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate having this cut back because I'm freezing right now and I wish I had it filled with hot coffee or hot tea. I'm sorry. I didn't have time to fill it. I did wash it though. No lipstick on there. See? Okay. Thank goodness. Yeah. That's all I can ask for. You're welcome. (laughs) Uh, For today's topic, we've picked Yuletide crimes. So basically crimes that just take place during the holiday season. Very wide topic. And I'm really curious to see how close our stories are. Do they match in terms of any part of their themes or are they completely different? Mm -hmm. While the rest of the world is snug in their beds with visions of sugar plums dancing in their heads, Danielle and I are fiendishly scouring the internet for information to help keep you safe and also win our ongoing slug fest of a competition. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, one group who isn't taking time off for the holidays is criminals. Multiple sources confirm robbery elevates during the holiday season. And we're not only talking about shoplifting, shoplifting, shoplifting. (laughs) I've heard about that crime. I've created, I've created a new one. It's you and all of your, you know, mumbo jumbo on true crime game time, yellow tape. I'm already scrambling the the words for myself, but shoplifting, (laughs) but personal larceny as well. Yeah. Yeah. Just a a lot of crime going on, not just in the stores. Uh, Holiday Mm -hmm. crime also rises when the holidays fall on a Friday or a Saturday. Mm, guess what we have this year? Not just, Welcome to 2020. Yeah, not just one, but <laughs> two holidays in a row falling on that day. Uh, compound that with how many people are out of work this year. I think 2020 has another few jabs left in it before we kick this year out the door. Too much eggnog for you, 2020. It's time to go home. Speaking of, people are likely to drink alcohol a lot more. Mm -hmm. And with many affected by depression this time of year, that can be a really bad mix. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Very important time of year for self-care. Exactly. We talked about that a little bit, actually, at house arrest uh, with, with several people as well. Um, Also, keep an eye out for online scams, fake charities, fake online stores, and know that there will be a rise in scam phone calls as well. Scammers are out. It's it's that time of the year for them, too. Yeah, you guys, please stay aware and stay safe this holiday season and every holiday season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So it is time to get to our first Yuletide crime story of the day told by the back-to-back season one and season two and last episode champion of crime after crime who now has over a half a million subscribers on her YouTube channel, Danielle Hallen. (laughs) That was the most fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I can't even. That was perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm just whenever whenever you do take on your major project of having like a big, uh, I don't know, a movie or a TV show or a Netflix series or something. If you're you, going to be there with me. You well, got to. If you need an announcer, at least I'll, I'm hoping that's that's you what have to introduce me. That's what my audition was right there. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, you were mentioning fake charities and all of that. But unfortunately, some of the real ones are affected as well. Mm. Now, as we all know too well, given this is a true crime podcast, there is good in this world, but it also comes with evil. And they have their ways of balancing each other out. And the holidays are no exception. 
The holiday season is the most wonderful time of the year. Presents are bought and usually stashed in closets, not to give anyone out there a hint. (laughs) Families and friends come together. Extra donations are given to those in need. And the overall spirit of Christmas, I feel, always uplifts everyone. But this is also why Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year for criminals, like we just spoke about. With the extra giving attitude, a plethora of goodies and homes and stores, criminals have their own very bizarre version of Christmas. They give to themselves. <laughs> yeah, no joke. And also, as we mentioned, robbery and personal larceny are two of the crimes that tend to increase most during the holidays. And a study by the Oklahoma Police Department in 2010 also found that crimes of opportunity rise. Mm. With the pressure of putting presents under the tree, possible conflicts. We also spoke about this, about being around family, you know, a little bit of emotional struggling and the overwhelming bombardment of the best Christmas gifts advertised everywhere. I can see how this could happen. While the holidays are amazing, they can also put people in a greedy frenzy or a really bad state of desperation. So the crime I'm going to speak of, unfortunately, comes to no surprise for me. One thing that you can be sure of every year is that hundreds of thousands of children will be writing a letter to Santa. While there are usually local drop boxes specifically for this purpose, many just still pop a letter into the mailbox. In 1912, Postmaster General Frank Hitchcock realized that there was an overwhelming amount of letters to Santa being sent in by children. So in good holiday spirit, he decided to authorize local postmasters, other USPS employees, and even everyday citizens to respond to these handwritten letters. And this ended up growing to something beyond control in the best way possible. The children receiving responsive letters from their secret Santa encouraged more and more children to send in letters, and that is how Operation Santa came to be. So by the 40s, the operation was so large that they couldn't handle all of the letters and small gifts that they were sending out to these children. So USPS brought in organizations as well as other large corporations to help participate. Wow. And it eventually morphed into an opportunity for communities to come together and provide for children so that they would have Christmas presents underneath their tree when, unfortunately, many of them normally wouldn't. So it kind of, yeah. We're also selling a lot of stamps around this, right? I mean, it was kind of started by Postmaster General. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But I I mean, I thought it was really cool, though, that that's how Operation Santa came to be. Because this year, it's actually, I'm about to speak on this, but it's it's worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it was just one person. You know, they kind of realized all these children are writing to Santa. And why don't we write back? Mm -hmm. So today... Postal employees across America hand out letters in person, except this year, to customers in hopes that they read the wishes, they would fulfill them, and then typically customers bring a neatly wrapped package back to the post office to then be sent to a child in need. They even post letters online, which they're mainly doing this year, with personal information redacted so that it's as easy as hopping online and you basically adopt a letter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, again, international this year. And it's a huge and well-known operation at this point, which is why it was unfortunately taken advantage of. No. Yeah. Mm. So in early June, or not June, in early January of 2014, the post office on 8th Avenue in Manhattan was tying up loose ends after Operation Santa. It wasn't all that common for Operation Santa packages to be returned, as I'm sure you can imagine. And it was especially uncommon for two to be returned from one address. That particular year, Operation Santa received over 300,000 letters from children. Unfortunately, they were only able to accept 7,000 that were properly labeled. There's like a whole, you have to follow a whole list of rules. And then at the end of that, only half of those ended up being adopted. Mm. So every package and response counts big time. Yeah. But somehow two packages from an apartment on, ironically, St. Nicholas Avenue in Upper Manhattan... (laughs) were returned after unsuccessful delivery. Worried that there was a mistake in wanting to get the presents to the proper children, employees worked on getting to the bottom of the situation. But things went south quick. No pun intended. Maybe a little. (laughs) Investigators were quickly led to the resident of the apartment of St. Nicholas Avenue. It belonged to 23-year-old Mahogany Strickland. Mahogany worked at the Grand James A. Farley Post Office in Manhattan on 8th Street, which also was the Operation Santa headquarters and also the Christmas movie inspiration behind Miracle on 34th Street, which is just a random tidbit I found interesting. Mm -hmm. So basically all of the local letters and packages from and to children 
and secret Santas alike passed through this post office to be sorted. While there was nothing to really be concerned about, seeing as Mahogany and any children under her care were equally as able to participate in Operation Santa, it seemed like something fishy was going on. Postal workers from all over started to report that multiple packages had been returned and marked as unsuccessful delivery from the exact same St. Nicholas address. So at this point, all these packages are adding up. So now things are a little bit fishy. Yeah. When they looked into Mahogany Strickland, they found that she had recently been hired at the post office as a seasonal employee, and she was scheduled to work in the adoption area specifically for Operation Santa. So what that means is that she was in charge of arranging all of the letters that are sent in to then display them for the donors so that they would be adopted. And she was always able to see when letters had been chosen. So she had direct access to pretty much all of the letters and items that had been showing up to her door. Yeah. A warrant was obtained for the two packages that they knew of, the initial two packages. And they found that the boxes contained snow boots, a train set, and some clothing. So nothing that really stood out too crazy. Um, But they were all items that had been sent in by Operation Santa donors. And figuring there may be more to the story, they decided to send in Agent Jamie Trellis from the United States Postal Service to question Miss Strickland. That February, she was brought in for questioning in regards to the two packages. And she ended up admitting that she had, in fact, altered some of the packages that came into the post office. Mm. Mm-hmm. Miss Strickland said that when donors packaged a gift... They would hand it into the post office. The post office would then take it, and they would be in charge of kind of sorting everything and then shipping them out. And she would rewrite her addresses onto the delivery portion of the package, thus sending all of the goodies to herself. Now, did she know what the items were, or was it just like, oh, that's a big box. I want that one. I'm – I mean – there's definitely ways she could have found out, and I'm going to kind of get deeper into okay, that okay. in a little bit, but I don't know for these in particular if she knew. Right. She could have looked it up. There's a, there's a chance. She knew. She had all the letters. She had access to everything, so she easily – she could have popped in an address probably. Yeah, yeah. And seen what was asked for in the list. But while this was devastating on its own, what was even more upsetting is that she admitted that this was a much more complicated heist than it seemed. Mahogany was not working alone. Mahogany had two other naughty little Grinch elf individuals Uh in her Christmas hijacking scheme. Miss Strickland was working in cahoots with 22-year-old Terry Jackson and 28-year-old Nikki Vey St. Albor, two other individuals that had also been hired for seasonal purposes. Jamie Trellis went in to interview Terry Jackson in hopes of getting more answers, and Terry also admitted that he was involved in the Operation Santa heist. He himself had written about four or five letters to send into Santa at the North Pole. In each letter, he pretended to be a different child that did not actually exist, creating a full list of must-have items to be sent to his home. He would then take these letters that he wrote And send them to Mahogany Strickland, who would, you know, obviously place them out there. She would be on the lookout for the letters. And once they would arrive to her, she would meticulously prioritize them amongst the others in hopes that they would receive a donor faster. She basically put them on the forefront. Yeah. Yeah. And then once the letters were chosen, which she could also see, she would then alert Terry Jackson so he could make sure he received his package. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Now, since the letters were organized and the wish lists were viewed by the postal workers, they saw what children had been asking for and basically saw it as an opportunity. They Mm -hmm. knew it would be very easy to rig the system to get gifts to themselves. It was as simple as writing a letter, rewriting an address, and they were already on the inside. Terry Jackson received new bedding, numerous gift cards, clothes that he asked for, two tablets, a printer, two laptops. Mm. Man. And that's just, I know, and that's just skimming the surface of it. And he wrote all of these things in these letters that he wrote to Santa, pretending he was a child. Terrible. Mahogany Strickland was again questioned about writing letters, and she also admitted that she created a few as well. She received items like clothing, snow boots, headphones, iPads, laptops, and more. Now, Nikki Vey St. Albord did the same. St. Albord confessed to writing four separate letters. He then made five copies of each letter. 
and since he also worked at the post office, he handed them all in to the desk clerk who was in charge of distributing the letters to customers as they came in, basically ensuring, you know, put mine on the top of the stack, they were immediately handed out. When they realized how large the pool of letters was, they came up with another idea to hopefully heighten their chances their letters would be chosen. They made even more copies of their letters. They even had family members create letters, and they would make around 20 copies of each one, all with different names. So, I mean, they just keep escalating what's going on. Yeah, I mean, they're, it's if you're going to do that much organization, I mean... It's like a job in itself. Like, you know, take those skills and like apply them. But now you've got them going to their family going, hey, we've got this great scam. What? You want a new iPad? Yeah. Here, write a letter and say that you're Timmy and you're six years old and your mom Mm -hmm. died last year. And oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. Because that's what they encourage on the website. You know, when these letters are posted online, they're like, you know, pick a letter that resonates with you because these are these are children not just writing a list. I mean, they, they go into detail and. You know, it's unfortunate. That's taking such advantage of everything. Yeah. So once they realized how successful this was, unfortunately, their greed got the best of them even more. Terry Jackson decided to start commandeering gifts that were already on track to the correct destination. Mm. In a similar way to Miss Strickland, just a little more tech savvy. So he started using the database that USPS used to track all of the children's addresses. So I mean, the entire operation is kept, I guess, under one big um, database. Yeah. And all of the addresses of the children are there. And on 50 separate occasions, he went into this database and would switch a child's address to his own. And if they're in that database, it means they've already been chosen. There's, you know, things already in motion. So he just came in and redirected it. And keep in mind, only 7,000 of these gifts. Right. I mean, 7,000 letters were chosen. Yeah. And that's it. Out of 300,000, 50 is massive. Any... One is massive in a list like that. However, by the time authorities were tipped off about the heist, Terry Jackson had already left his job at the post office, and he ended up being labeled the mastermind of this Christmas hijacking operation by U.S. Attorney Thomas McKay. So, Miss Strickland just happened to be caught in the middle of all this, but this was Terry Jackson's idea. And I think it's interesting that he had this idea, started to get it going, and then just like bailed (laughs) and Mm -hmm. left the other two behind. Yeah. All three ended up being federally charged with conspiracy and mail fraud as a result of their actions. Mr. Jackson and Ms. Strickland were also charged with receipt of stolen mail since they, you know, altered already labeled addresses to their own. And Mr. St. Albord and Ms. Strickland ended up being released on $50,000 bond, but Mr. Jackson was released on his own recognizance, which basically means he formally promised and agreed to show up to the hearings. Yeah. The federal document stated, and I quote, because Operation Santa was not able to fulfill all of the requests, every gift that was fraudulently obtained by a participant in the scheme effectively deprived an underprivileged child of a gift. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. It's worse uh, than taking yeah. candy from a baby. Like I it's know. literally worse. I mean, that could be, that could have been the single gift they got that year. Yeah. Like that's it. Right. On October 27th, 2015, Mahogany Strickland struck a deal. Prosecutors ended up dropping the federal charges of mail fraud and conspiracy, which she's lucky because that could have landed her 20 years in prison, which is what the other two were facing. Um, But instead, she decided to plead guilty to carrying letters fraudulently to obtain property or mishandling mail, I guess, in layman's terms. And this is just a misdemeanor charge. And she was facing a maximum of 30 days in jail. And that is it. Now, tell me that they did that because they were using her to roll harder on the other guys. Well, this is what's so bizarre about this case. This happened 2000, Christmas of 2013 into 2014. Yeah. Things didn't really start rolling until 2015. And then I know her charges, but you cannot find a single thing about Mr. Jackson or Mr. St. Albor. Hmm. hmm. I mean, I searched endlessly on the internet. I'm, I'm fairly certain that Mr. Jackson, he he more than likely pled guilty because they both seem to admit things right off the bat. I have, yeah. however, seen that Mr. St. Albord, not so much. I mean, he yeah. said a few things to the agent that was in there speaking to him, but he was questioned a few times by the media as they came out of a few of their you know different trials. And he, by the end of it, was like, I don't know what you're talking about. What scam? 
Yeah. What letters? What what do you what do you mean, Santa? Operation Santa? Totally acted like it didn't happen, didn't exist. So I don't I have no clue what happened to either of them. I wonder if they got a special sentence. Uh, I wonder if the government actually worked with Santa Claus to uh, get them shoveling reindeer poop for 20 years. I hope so. Because that's what they deserve. I, I know. I genuinely terrible. do. Yeah. Well, I'm starting to wonder if maybe USPS did something to help quiet it down because uh, they ended up coming to make a statement saying, you know, we will take whatever disciplinary action is warranted. We believe this incident is isolated and should not undermine public trust and the integrity of the Operation Santa program. That's because, a good point. Yeah. You know, despite these few grinches in the system, Operation Santa, for the most part, runs smoothly and children rely on this. Like, this is a huge operation that changes so many lives every single year. Yeah. And so, you know, I can only imagine this was a huge deal when it first came out. People didn't want to do it anymore. You know, unfortunately, I think the only reason this came to light is because they worked in the post office, but I can almost guarantee you there's probably been hundreds of people, thousands of people every year that have done this. Yeah. You know, I could write in a letter and pretend to be a child mm -hmm. <laughs> and send it in. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but it's one of those things where, you know, I've, I've looked into cases before, even where there's a GoFundMe and you're kind of wondering like, mm, is this really? Yeah. And yeah. the fact of the matter is I would rather be wrong about that and, and have, and be taken for whatever in mm -hmm. that transaction and still know that the other nine out of 10 are helping people or the other, whatever, you know, seven, 70 out of 75 are helping people, whatever the stat would be on how many people are scamming and getting away with it. Cause when you flip that and when you start mm -hmm. looking at the world that way about, Such Oh, a negative mindset. Yeah. That's a scary place to be. Yeah. And think of how it limits you in other ways. Then the other five, maybe that are real, but maybe aren't written very well. Now you're looking at those sideways and like, yeah, I'm not going to donate to those either. So yeah. I think you make a good point that they probably hushed the information mm -hmm. because they didn't want any headline about, you know, scammers for this charity get 20 years. Yeah. Like that could really knock the charity back even harder. Yeah, exactly. I know I, I have the same mindset when it comes to like, you know, homeless people that are out panhandling, you know, they want some money. I will always, without a doubt, like hand them yeah. over. Yeah. And it's funny because so many people will be like, why are you doing that? They're probably using it for drugs. You know, you're just enabling them. I'm like, yeah. Or I just bought a meal that potentially saved their life. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, or I just paid for their water or I just bought them a blanket, you know? Yeah. You have to choose to be in this mindset where it's like, okay, there will always be people out there. It's the good and the evil again that will try right. to take something away from something positive. But you can't, the second you flip your mindset and start thinking about it negatively, you've just given them more power. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think we've yeah, learned I think a, a lesson reason. since childhood, right? Yeah. Are you going to be naughty or are you going to be nice? And the mm -hmm. truth of the matter is if you're nice, there are people that are going to prey upon that and, and misuse yeah. it at certain times, but that shouldn't stop you. That shouldn't stop you from being nice and treating this world in a caring way. Exactly. But, you know, I think that's a huge reason, again, why I couldn't find what happened mm -hmm. to Mr. Jackson and Mr. St. Albord. I mean, it took a ridiculous amount of digging to find this story. I think this was like 12 plus Google pages in to yeah. the most random search possible. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm so serious. And then even when I tried to like very directly target and research this case, it was still very, very difficult. And you can't even find anything on either of those other names other than the articles where they're all clumped together. And then Miss Strickland, it was very, you know, cut and dry for her. She took a deal, moved yeah. on. But I do, I think it was to make sure that people continued to help and continue to give and see the positive in it, which is, you know, this was definitely a sad story, but I want to encourage anyone out there right now who's able to go online and adopt a letter. Everything's online this year. It's worldwide. You know, you can do what you need to do. Um, yeah. You, you literally pick, have yeah. me bringing up, like I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I'm trying to, is there, is there an, a central website for it or? Um, I'm sure there is. I can't remember it off the top of my head. If you just look okay. up USPS Operation Santa. That is it. Um, it's www.uspsoperationsanta.com mm -hmm. uh, where you can go and check out the letters. The first button yeah. they have there is read letters. 
Yeah. So you can, I mean, it's really awesome. You can read these individual letters. These have been sent in by children. It's making me, I like already want to cry, Yeah. but especially being worldwide this year, there's going to be so many letters, so many of them. Yeah. And December 4th, so three days after this episode drops is when you can start reading those letters. Mm -hmm. So, um, I'm going to tell you already, I'm absolutely doing this. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we hope that many of you out there that are listening might might step up and help us with this um, also. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I hope you guys do it. I know I'm going to do it. And don't let these terrible Grinches win. Yeah. Um, and then quickly, just a thank you to postalreporter.com, which is like one of the only places that had information on this. A few uh, different articles from New York Post. And pressreader.com for all of the information that I dug very hard to get for this case. Yeah, yeah. And it's important to remember that, yeah, there was a few people that were working that system and, and gaming it. But there's a lot of other people that are working that system to do the right yeah. thing and to make sure that exactly. those children have a, a bit of a brighter holiday. So thank you to them also. Especially this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's pass on the happiness. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We can use a little more of that. Um, all right. All right, Danielle. Well, man. Little, little bit of a, of a tug on the heart with that one mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I think uh, maybe that's where our themes are going to connect with our stories, but we always connect it in some way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, but we won't see until we get through a very quick commercial break and thank the people that support us so much. So we'll see you on the other side. I'm a happy Mint Mobile customer and it's time you were too. This holiday season, the best deal in wireless can only be found at Mint Mobile. Right now, when you switch to Mint Mobile and buy any three-month plan, you'll get another three months for free. Think of all the extra cash you're throwing at your current provider. Now is the time to stop, like I did several months ago. The activation process, super easy, only took a few minutes. And my coverage, identical to my old big guy provider. With plans starting at only 15 bucks a month and everything handled online, then safely delivered to your door, why wouldn't you give Mint Mobile a try? Keep some extra stuffing in your wallet this holiday season. If you're not 100% satisfied, there is a seven-day money-back guarantee. It's no risk and all reward with Mint Mobile. Use your own phone and you can easily bring your phone number and contacts over to Mint Mobile. Need 5G? They've got it. For a limited time, buy any three-month Mint Mobile plan and get three more months for free by going to mintmobile.com slash crimeaftercrime. That's mintmobile.com slash crimeaftercrime. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash crime after crime. Break up with your old provider like my family did and start saving a mint with Mint Mobile. Since I found HelloFresh, cooking at home has never been so easy, fun, and delicious. HelloFresh's no contact delivery brings a box right to my door with step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients, everything I need to pull together a delicious meal in about 30 minutes. They also have lower prices for larger boxes, so feeding my very hungry whole family (laughs) means more savings. This week, I made a tasty and mouth-watering tomato and burrata spaghetti pugliese, which, and then I went down this whole research hole of like, (laughs) what is pugliese? Because I don't know what that is. Uh, It's actually an area in Italy. It's it's the boot, essentially, of Italy, or the the heel of the boot. Uh, And burrata... What an amazing cheese. For someone like me with no skills in the kitchen, HelloFresh isn't just about making a great dinner. I'm learning things along the way. HelloFresh is also focused on giving back. So far in 2020, they donated 3.5 million meals to families in need. You can help families in need too by checking out their Beyond the Box program. HelloFresh has an amazing offer for our listeners. Go to HelloFresh.com forward slash crime after crime 90 and use code crime after crime 90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. Skip that trip to the grocery store. Go to HelloFresh.com forward slash crime after crime 90 and use code crime after crime 90 to get $90 off, including free shipping. Try HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit today. Welcome back and please support these great companies that believe in crime after crime and my fridge yeah, <laughs> and, and my cooking skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they believe in you a lot, Danielle. <laughs> Me too. Cause I'm telling you without HelloFresh, 
Um, it's like macaroni and cheese or things mm-hmm. out of the microwave. And that's about it for me. Um, yeah. And I just wanted to take a moment and thank HelloFresh sponsored so many of our episodes this mm-hmm. year. So thank you, HelloFresh. Mint Mobile also sponsored yep. many very episodes thankful. this year. We appreciate each of those companies so very much. Uh, but someone else also believes in our show. We want to thank the podcast Scene of the Crime for telling their audience about crime after crime. And we'd like to return the favor. So please check out this six, 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 <laughs> 60 <laughs> second preview. <laughs> In season one of Scene of the Crime, we explored the tragic 2017 double murder of Abigail Williams and Liberty German in Delphi, Indiana. Now, season two is upon us, and we are digging into another double murder. But this time around, the victims and circumstances couldn't be more different. Roger Atkinson and Rose Burkert were brutally murdered in their hotel room at the Amana Holiday Inn in Williamsburg, Iowa in September of 1980. And a killer wielding a heavy-bladed weapon in room 260 most likely a hatchet, would ensure that Roger and Rose didn't leave the hotel alive. Join us starting October 14th of 2020 as we kick off Season 2 of Scene of the Crime. Search for and subscribe to Scene of the Crime right now so you don't miss a single moment. All right, John. I'm ready for my holiday story. You're ready for your holiday story? Well, I've got one. What a coincidence. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Fancy seeing you here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Now, Danielle, you know, I love looking into viral, goofy stories for this show. Mm -hmm. But occasionally, when you go down that rabbit hole, you find quite a bit more than the clever, clickbaity headline. Buckle up, everyone. Even if you know this headline, I promise you have never heard this version of the story. And interestingly, I talked a little bit about this headline at CrimeCon House Arrest, and Mm -hmm. several people were like, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. Uh, You don't know all this. I've not heard this part. (laughs) Yeah. It was just after midnight on Christmas Day, 2013, in North Charleston, South Carolina. The Charleston County Sheriff's Office received a call dispatching them to a local home for a domestic dispute. Reportedly, the male victim, Billy Vaughn, had gone to a neighbor's home to call for help. When they arrived, they found Helen Williams, who told them her significant other had a terrible accident and he had fallen and cut himself. Sheriffs questioned Helen about the blood they saw all over her and her clothes, to which she replied, oh, that's not Billy's blood. That was there before all this happened. That's an interesting way to go. <laughs> Don't you think? I mean, if you're going to lie, at least say, oh, I was trying to help him. Not just like, oh, no, that's definitely not his blood. Yeah, no, that's not his blood. That was that was already there. And then, like, she didn't even have an excuse. Just, it was already there. <laughs> that sounds like my kids when they are up to something. Oh, yeah. Well, you're going to see Helen. Like Helen might be up to something. First responders found Billy also covered in blood, but with good reason. They described a large, deep laceration that they saw that went from his left shoulder to his chest. They took him to the hospital for treatment. Upon reviewing the scene and pressing for more information, they quickly figured out what really happened. Helen had run out of beer, so she sends Billy out to get some earlier that night. However, that night would be Christmas Eve. So he walks to their local store, but it's closed, checks a few other places, they're closed, not being able to find any place that's still open, he came home without any beer for her. So he starts making a sandwich for himself, and apparently that's when Helen flew off the handle and grabbed a ceramic squirrel. Of all the things. Yes, yes. Now, look, I just want to say that a headline of... Woman stabs husband with ceramic squirrel for not buying her beer on Christmas would normally have me laughing all day long. And it's yeah. certainly what drew me to this story initially. Even NBC News couldn't help themselves. They ended an article about this case with a quote that says the condition of the squirrel wasn't reported. Oh, my goodness. The Huffington Post, they actually started one of their articles with the sentence, this is just nuts. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. 
Oh, but you see, Danielle, this story doesn't end there like the cute viral versions do. And let's be clear, even about this specific instance, this guy got struck over the head with a large piece of ceramic. And I think it might have even broke because then it was used to stab him in the chest. He reportedly... Quite different than the headline. Yeah. I mean, that's changed things up a little bit. When you look into the details, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, makes for a cute headline, but this is pretty heavy Mm -hmm. and deep. Uh, He reportedly had two cuts on his head. He had blood all over his face, blood all over his chest and his arm. Uh, I know that we're talking about a wacky weapon here, but the attack, very serious and I think very easily could have been deadly. Uh, Helen was arrested, charged with criminal domestic violence of a high and aggravated nature, which I didn't even know they had like different levels like that for it. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah. And then held at the Charleston County Detention Center on a $10,000 bond. This wouldn't be her first charge. Her criminal history showing more than a dozen arrests from disorderly conduct to burglary Of course, public intoxication and even credit card fraud. She also has other domestic violence charges reaching back to as early as 1994. And this charge wouldn't be her last. Not even close. Charleston County jail records show that she was arrested for domestic violence again in September of 2014. Twice. Six days apart. Unfortunately, I can't tell from the records who the victim is. I think we have a pretty solid idea of who it is to be totally transparent though. Billy actually has more criminal charges than Helen even does. And they also include domestic violence, larceny, but the vast majority of his are public intoxication. As a matter of fact, Billy got arrested for public intoxication on December 30th, 2013, just five days after the ceramic squirrel attack. And in his booking photo, you can see what looks like wounds that are healing on his neck. Like You're it's li- joking. No, it literally shows up in his in his photo. So this just all seems very, very normal to them. Just yeah. very normal, excusable behavior. Yeah, yeah. But uh, something I just kind of want to keep in mind is like the, the term rock bottom. Like w- mm-hmm. when do you realize, okay. Yeah, exactly. Because we have a couple here that – it's like they're gasoline in a match, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, there's certain, I think we've all had relationships like that where it's like, I don't know if this is healthy for me, but yeah, you're making, you're making me feel like I'm a little bit crazy. I feel like this could potentially be toxic. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know, it's one of those yeah. things where it's like, um, how many signs do you need? And, yeah. uh, fast forward anyway. And, uh, Danielle, we're not going to talk just about one holiday. We've got a second holiday that's going to kind of weave into this story. Oh, wow. Okay. Fast forward to February 13th, 2017. Now, while last minute Valentine's Day shoppers were heading towards the local Northwoods Mall around 2 p.m. that day, so were the North Charleston police. Reportedly, a man had been struck by a large vehicle in the Sears parking lot. The vehicle then fled the scene continuing in the direction of Rivers Avenue, but witnesses say they believe it was a female that was driving, possibly white or Hispanic, with brown hair. The information was quickly sent out to local media, and they started raising awareness and asking for tips. The man was rushed to the hospital, where unfortunately he would die from his injuries. That man was 45-year-old Billy Vaughn. Oh and the, my gosh. the large vehicle that struck him was a rented U-Haul truck. He had been released from jail earlier that same day, once again on public intoxication charges and some other charges I saw for writing bad checks. On the following day, Valentine's Day, investigators would track down the U-Haul that killed him and arrest the driver of that truck. And that person was Helen Williams. It seems that she might have pulled out her old favorite excuse as she was initially charged with leaving the scene of an accident and that accident involving death. Investigators, however, believed she may have done it on purpose, especially Uh, when. yeah. 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 Especially when they questioned her about the fact that Billy was run over and she admitted to knowing that she did hit him and then she fled the scene. So she knew she hit him. Mm -hmm. It's not like an accident where, you know. She might have backed up and hit someone and then kind of took off and didn't know about it. Um, Helen and Billy had been together for 15 years, according to the reports. 
And in court documents, it was stated that Billy jumped out of the U-Haul truck before getting run over. So who Mm. knows what was happening? You know, he's picked up from jail that morning. I don't know why she has a U-Haul. I I couldn't find anything in terms of what that was about. From what I understand, it seems like she, at least for some point, was living with her mother. Um, But yeah, something was happening in the truck. He jumps out. She decides or... I just, I can't imagine a mechanism where he would jump out of the truck and she would be in the right position to kind of run him over unless he f- kind of fell and she turned at the same time. Like, I don't know, the mechanics around. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, around how this how happened. Well, and I'm just wondering because it's like, how accidental is this? Yeah. You know, there's, yeah. it, you've already got a pattern of rage that's going on between these people for years. And now one of them is dead. So how can we look at this and say, okay, well, this, she left the scene of an accident. A former neighbor of Billy's named Sue Spence told reporters, quote, I think she should be charged with murder because in the long run, she was going to kill him one way or another. Sue told reporters that there were frequent problems at the home. Another quote, at least three times a week, North Charleston police and the ambulance were here the whole time. It was ridiculous. When asked about the incident from Christmas back in 2013, Sue said that wasn't the worst case. She would come out on the street and hit him with a two by four. She was crazy. He would come sit in my house on the couch and my husband would say, Billy, the only thing you can do is leave, leave her before she kills you. Then he would get up and go right back to her. Bond was set at $40,000 and Helen did post bail, but she kept the charges coming. I see an open container charge in 2018, a shoplifting charge from later in 2018. On March 12th of 2019, there was supposed to be a plea hearing for the hit and run charge, but guess who didn't show up to that? So Charleston Sheriff's deputies arrived at a residence around 430 after being called about someone barricading themselves in the home and threatening other individuals. It was Helen turned into a full on police standoff. Oh my gosh. That doesn't surprise me. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that's really frustrating about this case for me is looking at her criminal history Mm -hmm. and just like, how do you even make bail on something like that? How could they have set it at only 40? Like, you know, kick that sucker up. This is, there's a pattern that's very easy to see here. Exactly. And especially because the last, you know, at least large incident that we are seeing between both of them, she wasn't just, you know, hitting him. She tried to stab him. Like she hit him with something considered a weapon and then took the shards of it and was stabbing. There's clear intentions there. It's not just, oh, I'm going to hurt you because I'm angry. That's like, I'm prepared to kill you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it went national. I don't exactly. And I don't understand how I don't understand that either. It's that's something that I bump into a lot looking into certain cases, especially around domestic violence issues. And it's like, how how do we let this get to this point? Like, why does there's an obvious pattern and Mm -hmm. there's no stopping point anywhere? No one's stepping in or saying this is enough. You know, you guys, this is enough here. We're going to throw the book at you. Like, mm-hmm. we're going to make this as hard as possible for you to get through. Um, but, you know, there's other circumstances that we'll touch on with this also. Yeah. So we have the full-on police standoff. They actually bring out a negotiator. They were able to coax her out of the home. She was booked by 9 p.m. that night at the Alcannon Detention Center. She would eventually plead guilty to the hit and run and was looking at 10 years of prison time. However, in May of 2019... Her lawyers would tell the court that she was suffering severe anxiety and mental health issues. They showed a stark past with multiple mental hospital visits, three of them lasting more than a week. The judge suspended her 10-year sentence, which once again, I don't know why. I understand that we're talking mm-hmm. about a mental health component, but I don't I just I don't know why this happens. Yeah. So the 10-year sentence suspended. Instead, they give her five years of probation. The first year she'll be on house arrest at her mother's home. And it will include very strict monitoring, mental health services and counseling being provided to her and random drug and alcohol testing. The judge says that testing will also be used to make sure that she's taking her prescribed medications. So it's one of those things where obviously the judge is hooking into the mental health aspect of the story. Which is good because a lot of the times that doesn't happen. But yeah, yeah. I don't know if I personally agree with 
the decision that was ultimately made. That's what I'm struggling with on this one too. Like I, can't we give her those services, but keep her locked yeah. down while those services mm-hmm. are being provided and then make some type of path to her possibly getting out early if things are going well? You know, if she passes all of her tests, she's staying on her medication because I mean, alcohol look at the pattern it, again. I mean, the second they're released, they both typically would go right back into whatever they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, exactly. so if you, if she's getting, you know, to her, that's going to be like a slap on the wrist for killing somebody. And then she's going to come back out and just wreak havoc again. Just this time, she might be on medication <laughs> while kinda she's what doing it. Feels, it. Kind of what it feels like to me, too. Yeah. During this whole court process, she spent 186 days behind bars for the charges related to the hit and run. Uh, it's just a real shame that things had to come this far. I wish... When their story, and that's why I was mentioning like rock bottom before, when their story about the Christmas attack went viral, someone should have stepped in there Mm -hmm. and said, okay, this is it, guys. This is rock bottom. It is not getting better. You have to change this. You have to get out of this. It should have been her family, the police that are interacting with them on a regular basis. Like just someone, please try to help these people in these situations. A lot of people just don't want to look past the surface. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, and even a lot of law enforcement can be that way because, you know, they're here and they're like, we're just here for the surface level. If they have things going on underneath of that, like they should probably deal with that. It's not yeah. our job. It's very unfortunate because that probably could have made a huge difference and he could potentially still be alive. Well, and one of the things that we touched on in our talk about this at house arrest was also people not asking for help because mm-hmm. there's a stigma or yeah. it looks like weakness and all that. And that's why I just want to be sure to share stories like this and push time and time again. You need help sometimes. We all need yeah. help sometimes. And that's and all right. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. And you have to be willing to ask for it. Um, apparently so far the house arrest and therapy process must be doing okay because I don't see any charges for her since and her arrest record was fairly consistent prior to this. Danielle, I was looking through booking photos of her, like it was a flip book and you could see her aging and getting, yeah, getting meaner and meaner, which with each one, some of them, she just looked annoyed. Like she's like, like, oh yeah, I'm here again. (laughs) Get me out of here. It was, I mean, crazy. One of them, she was like black and blue. Like she had just been in some kind of radical fist fight or something. Um, Yeah, it's, it's terrible. It's terrible. But ultimately, you know, she's got a shot at changing her life right now. And um, Billy does not have that same chance anymore. Mm -hmm. Thank you to Live 5 News, MyFox 8, ABC News, and Post and Courier for information contributing to today's story. I also want to thank everyone in the true crime community that has been speaking up on domestic violence issues. Yeah. We've we've got some really good champions on this front. I know Sheila is also a big proponent. Sheila Wysocki yeah. trying to help with issues like this because so many of the cases that she works are domestic violence related as well. Um, if you or someone you love needs help, I've put together a webpage at brainscratchers.com. Tons of information there, resources. Uh, I also make regular donations to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. And pulling this story together reminded me that they're going to be working extra hard this holiday season. So, And it's already been crazy this entire year. Add the holidays onto that and they need that assistance. Absolutely. So I've made another donation specifically in honor of this episode. Um, and I hope that you guys will consider doing the same. If you need their help, you can reach out to them at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can visit thehotline.org. And they're so smart about how they have it set up. They have like warnings Mm -hmm. as soon as you get there about, hey, you know, people can track where you've been on the internet. Make sure you're looking at this. Uh, Quick button to get out of their website in case someone walks in the room. Um, they're going to help you. And if they need to, if you need to talk to them through text or if you can get to a phone and make time for a phone call, they've got all kinds of different ways to contact them and get help. And I just want to remind everyone, let's remember to keep our ears and hearts open to our friends that may be facing issues like this, this holiday season, because that's such a big component. They need a team. They need people to let them know that the world doesn't have to be like that. Mm -hmm. I I wish the people in this story had someone close to them that could have done that. I was just thinking that because I mean, that kind of person can create a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, I, I just, it's so, yeah, 
I see these goofy stories all the time mm-hmm. and I've had a few where I've kind of looked into it and it's like, wow, this is, I've even had ones where I'm like, what it's portrayed. Yeah. Yeah. I've had ones where I'm like, hey, I can't cover this. Like here yeah. we're talking about a serious mental health issue this person's having and they did something stupid and now they got into a headline. But the way this one spelled out, I think, and with this time of year, I just felt like it was important to kind of share that. And I hope that you guys um, don't mind too much that I didn't cut it too light this month, but I just want to make sure that we're all thinking about things like this and keeping an eye out for the people that we love. Yeah. And I mean, that's what the holidays are about, you know, taking care of the people around you and showing people love. And I think that both of our stories kind of hit that where, you know, support the people that are around you. It's so important, like in every way possible. So I don't mind it. It was a little bit of a heavier episode, but I think it was also a great reminder, especially at the end of a year like this year. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can still support those around you in a positive way. Yep. Absolutely. And there's something we can do, Danielle. We can work a little bit of Christmas magic right here, right now, and lift the end of this episode we with sure can. some other interesting stories that we found along the way. So let's do that. And Danielle, why don't you get us started? I want to hear something. Give me something. Okay. All right. I've got you. So, <laughs> well, I mean, eh, this one's... <laughs> This one's Uh-oh. definitely about a grouch. I will say that. It's bah humbug. Okay. There's some people that just don't like Christmas. Okay. I don't get it, but you know, teach yeah. their own. And that was the case for 32-year-old Henrietta Bush, who decided to punch her neighbor in the face after she gave her a Christmas greeting. It landed her with a charge of misdemeanor assault. But I mean, dang, bah humbug. So Scrooge like, up in there. Merry Christmas. Hey, Merry what Christmas. did you say? Excuse me? What? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. I'm telling you what. I know. Good wow. <laughs> well, I found a story about a man named Terry Trent. He broke into a home in a suburb of Dayton, Ohio, through the back door, and he had only one thing on his mind, Christmas spirit, Daniel. Well, maybe two things on his mind. He was also high on bath salts. Oh, okay. <laughs> Terry went through the house, lighting candles putting up Christmas decorations, including hanging a wreath on the garage door. And then he sat down to watch some TV while playing with some toys that he found laying around. There we go. Merry Christmas. Yeah. He didn't know that the owner of those toys, an 11-year-old boy, was still home while his mother was visiting neighbors next door. Terry told the boy, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I'll get my things and go. But it was too late. The kid had called his mom, who called the police, and Terry was arrested for burglary. I actually wanted so badly to make that my story. I really did. When I saw that, I was like, this is too good. I was like, because how, like how that's like a cheerful portion of Christmas. At least this man's doing something absolutely insane. Yeah. Who genuinely means no harm. It was just like, oh man, sorry. Didn't mean to scare you as I came into your house and sat on your floor and played with your toys and watched your TV. Yeah. By the way, I decorated while I was here. Hope you like it. Yeah. Can I invite him over? Because I I, I mean, I love when the decorations are up, but I, I don't love the process of it. So, oh my gosh. Terry, oh. why, why don't you come over and, and hook up my house? Yeah. Well, be very <laughs> thankful you were in decorating with me this weekend because I just had a real North Carolina Christmas decorating party. Oh, yeah. Which involved a slingshot, a fishing pole and Christmas lights. <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure so many people out there are like, wait. <laughs> That sounds like a viral video waiting to happen. Did you record any of this? No, but I probably should have. <laughs> yeah, you, seriously. You take, you, I'm serious. You take the fishing pole, you slingshot the line over a tree branch up way high. And then when the weight comes down, you tie lights to it. And then you reel the lights up. Oh, <laughs> so you get, wow. I mean, you get perfect straight lights all the way up in your tree. I'll have to send you a picture of it. It's really cool. Highly suggest it. Very that's like the most Southern thing in the world. Decorating tip from Danielle. I like that. I know. That's a pro tip. No, but seriously, I would like to see a video of that sometime. I you, will. You need to remember that. Yeah. About, I've actually got to shoot some more up with my slingshot. All right. <laughs> <laughs> most Southern thing ever. But yeah. I also have another great story that I like to call the naked Santa. Hmm. 23-year-old Sean Chanel attempted to become Santa Claus. He figured that if Santa could go down the chimney and leave presents, that he could too go down a chimney, but actually take presents instead. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Shortly after Christmas of 2010, neighbors became alarmed when they heard a man screaming for help from their neighbor's chimney. 
Authorities found Sean, who had made his way to the roof, using a chair that he pushed up against the air conditioning unit. And apparently soon after climbing into the chimney, which was his go-to way of getting in the house, he got stuck and remained stuck in this chimney for six to seven hours. Kind of deserved it, Danielle. I know, but deserved I, it. the one thing that I keep wondering is, was he upside down or right side up? And I don't know why that's like my main question. <laughs> But I, it's, I've been stressed about it ever since I heard the story. I don't know why I keep hearing stories like, well, I looked into a case where a body was found. It was stuck in a chimney. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what you're talking about. And I didn't realize that chimneys, it's not a straight hole. Uh-uh. It's not. If you look down a chimney, you're not looking into where the fire usually is. There's a, nope. a big elbow mm-hmm. that happens right in the middle of the chimney. And sometimes it's at a really sharp angle, almost like a Z so yeah. that nothing can get down there. Mm-hmm. So I just, it's not a good idea to try to crawl in chimneys, people. No, it's not. And he was very stuck. They had to call firefighters who actually yeah. had to chip away the bricks to pull him out, who also, I haven't mentioned yet, except for in the title of this, but he was naked while doing all of this. Okay. <laughs> Let me Why? remind Again, everyone. I don't know. <laughs> He ended up being held on 100,000 bond and charged with attempted residential burglary and was subsequently sentenced to 17 months in prison. But one thing I also found interesting, okay, right? 17 months in prison. He asked the judge if instead he could get two years. (laughs) I don't know. And I think even his own defense attorney was like, wait, what? Like, as they're there. Does it have to be? I think that was a mistake. I don't think he meant to say that. Yeah. Does it have to be 17 months? Can I just get two years? I know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't understand it. But apparently, if you look his name up, I mean, it's like one thing after another. He's famous for so many different wow. disastrous schemes. Well, maybe he was thinking that if someone was home, I mean, if you're going to pop out of a chimney, if you're naked, mm-hmm. you could at least go, I'm here. Yeah, woo! Merry <laughs> Christmas! <laughs> you're surprised. Oh, you didn't order the stripper? Oh, wrong house. Sorry. Dang. I guess yeah. I'll go back up the chimney. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Danielle, I have a story for you that seems like it popped right out of my imagination, but it's actually true. Cops in Portland, Oregon, received a 911 call from the manager of a Toys R Us store in 2011 asking for immediate assistance. A man had assaulted three customers with not one, but two lightsabers. Oh, no. I'd be terrified. And his name was John Lorden. No. <laughs> Surprise. That man was me. <laughs> you have to be trained by a Jedi master for a long time to wield two lightsabers. O- officers arrived and tried to get the man under control, but he had two lightsabers. So mm-hmm. they tased him. However, with the power of the force, he used a lightsaber to knock one of the wires away, rendering the taser shot useless. <laughs> Cops eventually brought him to the ground and arrested him. He was ordered a 45-day sentence and mental health evaluation, to which he replied, I'm already seeking mental health treatment. (laughs) Too late. I've already got that covered. (laughs) I love that. I know. I I was just like, what? Oh, good grief. (laughs) I'm I'm already seeking that, Judge. You're not helping me. He did apologize to his victims, who thankfully suffered no serious injuries, and I hope... He can stay away from the dark side in the future. Yeah, me too. Oh, man. <laughs> I just love that he managed to stop the taser. I know. With a lightsaber. <laughs> with a toy lightsaber. Yeah. Imagine telling that story afterwards. <laughs> Do you know what I did with a lightsaber one? Yeah. Yeah. They tried to shoot a taser at me and I just, mm, lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yoda this is good today. That. I know. <laughs> So now I have a little story that I like to call the Grinch who stole crab meat. Uh-oh. Guess what? It involves two of our favorite things, Florida and Walmart. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> 52-year-old <laughs> Greta Denise Young felt like having a nice Christmas Eve dinner. I mean, don't we all? I get it. Mm-hmm. But she wandered into the aisles of Walmart and then finally hit the seafood aisle, and that's where she decided what she would be having. She proceeded to shove $120 worth of crab meat into her purse. Mm. She was caught and arrested on theft theft charges, and um, she had a really great thing to say to the police. She said she didn't mean to. (laughs) I didn't mean to shove all this crab meat into my purse. (laughs) Hold on. Hold on. Was she six years old? Do I understand that correctly? all All the bizarre excuses in this episode. She didn't tell the police, I'm already seeking mental health treatment. I'm already seeking mental health treatment. (laughs) What do you mean? I just, 
Let me go. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. Stop it. <laughs> didn't even mean to. <laughs> oh, man. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, uh, well. We did it. We did. Who do you think is going to win this month, you guys? I don't know. This was, I mean, I think it's going to be a difficult choice because how do you kind of choose who wins all these two kind of difficult stories, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But I know they will choose they and we will find out mm-hmm. and we'll it see. It always what ha- seems to happen that way. <laughs> we'll see what happens with the cup. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you can remember to vote by going to the Twitter account and following at Crime After Pod. And when you do that, you'll see that we post the poll uh, the day that the episode comes out and it'll be there for seven days. So you can vote there or... You can also head over to www.crimeaftercrimepodcast.com and vote there. We do always have a link in the description box below, and you can still click the little I, the letter I up in the corner of the screen, and it will take you directly to the website. And while you're at Crime After Crime Podcast, you can find all the links you'll ever need, including where to find more content by Danielle and myself, how to suggest show topics, which by the way, thank you, suggestors. (laughs) We've been looking at them, going over them. Great ideas. As a matter of fact, uh, one that's coming up for next episode we're going to touch on uh, came off that list as well. You can also join our Patreon or shop our Teespring store where you can find the new Pick Your Winner mug and our new Crime After Crime Jail Tat products. And as always, a huge thank you to our patrons. Our patrons get a bonus Patreon special segment monthly. It's always a lot of fun. Plus, patrons get a personal shout out and an upcoming Patreon special after they join. Yeah. So what do we have coming up for January 1st, 2021? A new episode of Crime After Crime and the topic, craziest hiding place which was suggested by Rachel as well as some other people. Craziest hiding place. What do you think, Danielle? I'm so excited. The second we started on this topic, my head already went to so many different places. Yeah. I mean, a a craziest hiding place, it could be, you know, of a weapon or, you know, someone running and hiding from a crime. It could be so many different things. It could go so many ways. I already have a few criminals in mind. Yeah. Um, So I'm excited. I am too. Good one. Just because it's so wide, there's there's a lot to pull from, a lot of different angles to consider mm-hmm. with that. And I'm very curious to see what stories get pulled together for the episode. It's going to be awesome one way or another. It's going to be a good one. Yeah. The show is produced and hosted by myself, Daniel Hallen, and John Lorden. And if you enjoyed this show, please rate or review us on whichever platform you found us on. The best way you can help others find us is to tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone. Go outside and scream it. <laughs> you love crime after crime. <laughs> please do. I also want a video of that. I'll scream it as yeah. I slingshot my lights into the tree this afternoon as well. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I hope you enjoy your holiday season and we will see you next time. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.